Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historical Black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast, throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as part of their large commitment to the advancements of students from HBCUs. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Roden Fellows podcast. I'm your host, Keon Cage, a senior strategic communication major with a minor in leadership studies at Hampton University. Today, I'm joined by my Roden Fellows colleagues, Calvin Sykes out of Florida a and University, who is the producer of this episode. What's up, everyone? What's up, everyone? And I'm also joined by NCAT's finest, North Carolina A&T, Alexis Davis. Hey, hey, everyone. The fall semester is almost over, which means it's bowl season for college football. The MEAC finished its 2021 season after losing three of its former conference members a year ago to other conferences, with North Carolina A&T going to the Big South and Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman going to the SWAC. The departure of these three schools has led many people to question if the MEAC can, can still compete with the SWAC. The Celebration Bowl is coming up soon which means there's a chance to see the MEAC Conference Champions take on the SWAC Conference Champions in Atlanta. With the hype behind the SWAC and the changes to their conferences, the MEAC will have a chance to measure, see how they measure up to the SWAC at the Celebration Bowl in Atlanta. Leading the coverage of HBCU news for the undefeated is Mia Berry, who is a graduate of University of Notre Dame with a Bachelor's of Arts degree in film TV and theater. What up, though? I'm excited to be here today. How you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, nice Detroit weather out here. Snow's flowing. Oh, Motor City. What? Motor City. Motor City. I gotta, I gotta ask, man. Can the MEAC still compete with the SWAC with all the changes? You got Deion Sanders. You got teams leaving the conference. Can they still hang with them? Absolutely. One thing people have to remember, the MEAC has pretty much owned the SWAC. Even if the MEAC, you know, slides a little bit after losing some key members, they still lead the Celebration Bowl overall four to one. Granted, NCAT does have all four of those wins, but if they slide a little bit, they still got a little margin of error. And I don't think it's, I think it's a little too early to write the MEAC off. South Carolina State, they've always been at the top of the MEAC pack. They had to have a couple schools needed to leave for them to fully take over. But I don't think there are pushovers, regardless of if Jackson State or Prairie View wins. They're going to have to go into a dogfight. And South Carolina State has proven again and again all season they're ready for a dogfight. They like those single possession games because you have playmakers like the Kobe Durant saying, OK, I'm about to get this interception. And he's calling it out. He's pointing. He's like he's just waiting to break on the ball. So I don't think the MEAC is as down as out as people think it is. I think the MEAC is surely going to surprise people in Atlanta. Yeah, especially with the MEAC, um, you know, we had to leave. ANC, we had to leave to give you all chance after chance to win a celebration bowl after dominating that um, for so long. Um, and then also, 
just with the MEAC, you know, that we still have the celebration, but I think people are still just as excited. Um, I know early on, I went to the MEAC Media Day in South Carolina State. You know, their main thing was, you know, defense. A lot of teams, they want to focus on offense and those big plays, but, you know, a lot of coaches say defense is what wins championships. So that's definitely where South Carolina State's head has been since, you know, before the season, even at Media Day. Wait, but I mean, since we're talking about South Carolina State, like, do you really believe in their offense, though? Uh, because that's kind of always been a problem, I'm saying, recent years, especially now they were shut out against FAMU earlier this year, though. That that kind of holds a little, little weight there. That's also early in the season. If we're going to talk about early in the season, you can also talk about Jackson. Like, come on, Shador Sanders, that Jackson State offense didn't look the way it looks now. They beat FAMU 7-6. That, I mean, you, you have a point, but at the same time, like, you know, weather conditions, like, you know, it, that kind of has to go into play, too. Oh, uh, yeah, regular, for the that's not Yeah, when teams, when teams start losing, they love to say it was raining. It was windy. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't determine the direction of the wind. That's always a go-to when they're not performing. Uh, one thing about the MEAC, I saw those boys play in the rain, and they, they were comfortable. They rolled the sleeves up, so... I'm pretty sure they're going to be fine, whether anything. But also, you're seeing a little bit more chemistry. Corey Fields has certainly grown up. And a lot of this started for the simple fact South Carolina State played in the spring. So they've really undergone a full trial by fire this season, which is slowly paying dividends for them. Earlier on in the year, they had a lot of people injured. You've played 10 months. That's what a lot of people haven't really taken into account this season. That spring season actually puts some wear and tear. You give them a summer. Summer is basically spring ball all over again. You're working. You're breaking your muscles down. You're building them back up. And then you go into another dogfight of a season. So seeing things like that, I really think he's matured. Uh, I actually have a story coming out soon, going a little bit deeper into his journey. Some things he kind of faced uh, throughout the spring couple losses but how he was ultimately able to turn it around into a win and it's beautiful to see everything clicking right now you the further you get into this season you re, you realize why he's their undisputed leader even though red shirt sophomore you understand why he's the leader of this team and the heart he has for his guys so I think their offense is clicking uh Shaquan Davis his receiver they're clicking perfectly against North Carolina Ah, Norfolk State, sorry. Three touchdowns? Like, come on. That's exactly the type of statement they needed headed into the Celebration Bowl. I think too a lot of a lot of this too these programs they're not afraid of trial and error especially when you have freshmen you have transfers um you have grad you know you have all types of students student athletes coming together I will say with all the programs that we're naming they're not afraid of trial and error you know switch the roster around switch some spots out and really do what you can until you get that cohesive match that's going to really create some plays for your team so I know that um Mia you you went to South Carolina State and covered the team so thinking big picture of the program, like really, what did you learn about Buddy Pugh? Because that's a legend that most people really don't know in the MEAC that actually been there for a pretty long time. <laughs> Buddy Pugh, absolute gem. Like after everything the MEAC has gone through, I think the best thing the conference has done is being able to secure South Carolina State and Buddy Pugh. He bleeds Garnet and Navy. And that is such a beautiful thing to have a coach so invested into his program, the bloodline, he understands the pride it takes 
for a team like South Carolina State to win the MEAC outright. He's done it before, pre-Celebration Bowl day, so 2013, 2014. They had a share of the title 2019. Obviously didn't win the tiebreaker, so they couldn't go to the Celebration Bowl. But it's good to see the fruitfulness of Buddy, uh, Buddy Pugh coming out. All that persistence, being a player, passing those traditions on. He's like, oh, no, we're nitty gritty. We have pride. And you see that kind of ex- like ooze out of his skin into his players. So I think that's pretty much the best thing to see in the MEAC, especially everyone's talking about this turmoil. But to have Buddy Pugh say, oh, no, it's OK. We're fine. We're going to compete. It kind of gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling like, OK, OK, MEAC. Yeah, MEACs, they have their issues, but they're still competing. You got a legend right here making sure that his guys are going to be ready to compete. And at this stage in the game, that's all you can ask for. So what are your expectations for the uh, Celebration Bowl? What do you expect to see? What type of environment, what type of game do you expect to see? Well, it's a little early, but I'm just going to play devil's advocate. I'll go for both teams. So with Jackson State, the last couple games you saw them, their run game hasn't really gotten off to a fast start. They're primarily throwing, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes against Southern, you saw how the DBs kind of sat back and anticipated and jumped on those passes. If Jackson State comes in to the Celebration Bowl with that game plan against South Carolina State, that's playing directly into their hands. They want you to throw that ball. Their DBs are waiting. Uh, the Kobe DeGrant picked off DJ Uyangale at the beginning of the season when he was a Heisman favorite. So this guy, he watches film. He watches those routes. He can't wait to make a break on the ball. So if Jackson State kind of doesn't establish that run game pretty early, then it could be really close. Maybe, you know, the legend, everyone since the beginning of the season, they kind of want that storybook ending for Jackson State. But you're going to have to have a two-dimensional offense. You're going to have to be able to run it and throw it with great success in order to get South Carolina State. Same thing with Prairie View. Juwan Pass, he has to be firing on cylinders. You got to get your running backs going. You can't – that's one thing about South Carolina State. You can't be one-dimensional against them. You have to go full out. If you think you're going to beat them just passing it, you are sadly mistaken. If you think you're going to beat them on the ground, sadly mistaken. They have all MEAC conference guys on that defense for a reason. So – That's kind of what I'm expecting. If South Carolina State can keep it close, if you don't see, you know, SWAC teams, they have this offense. If that offense can't get going fast enough, if they keep it close, South Carolina State, one of the best closers in the FCS this season, four games won by a single possession. So they know when it comes down to the wire, they're up, they're happy, no nerves. They're like, okay, we know what we got to do to close you out. So I expect if it's close, I have my money on South Carolina State. Definitely, but everyone knows the real battle is at halftime. So what do you expect to see from the bands, from the different bands? What is the best band in the land to you? Oh, well, I can honestly say I'm not biased because I came from Notre Dame. So our version of bands a little bit different. We don't get the pageantry. We get the alma mater. We get Sweet Caroline at halftime. I think we did something cool once where our band did like this little thing where they kind of had somebody with a basketball dunking into a rim. But 
so far one of my favorite oh it's gonna it's hard I really enjoy the human jukebox this season and I saw they had a performance that pretty much went viral they did easy on me by Adele and I'm like yes the pageantry the dancers it was absolutely beautiful they also came in third in last month's ranking so given the show we have great judges great adjudicators I would love to see them make a jump that's something everyone has said time and time again how good the human jukebox is and I'm like it'd be nice to see them make that jump and it's kind of cool this season for band rankings we had so many different we had NCAT ticket, Prairie View, we had the Marching 100, just to see how competitive these bands are, especially coming out of everything with COVID and how they're re- everyone's rebounding from COVID. You're seeing all this innovation, but there's no love lost. Everyone's still performing to highest level and I enjoy it. And I'm gonna give a shout out to the Marching 100. I saw you, they did it they did have mercy and I'm like I'm actually dancing with it I'm like man this is pretty good I kind of wish I was there um so I think one of the things that you know you you get the right to articles which is highly talked about on undefeated site um what's a sleeper band that you feel like doesn't really get that much attention that like ah maybe if things roll different they'll be higher up in the standings one band I really enjoyed I really enjoyed Grambling the world famed Everyone knows Grambling as one of those blue blood bands along with the Marching 100, World Fame. You've seen them. They performed halftime at the Raiders. And I'm like, this band is awesome. We haven't really seen them crack the top 10 this season, but we still have one more band ranking. Anything goes. And I, I kind of would like to see them crack it. I love the World Fame. I love the energy they have. I love the formations, pageantry their dance their majorettes it's I really enjoy them it's beautiful to see they haven't made it just yet but I don't know they're they've been doing a couple things lately so hopefully we can see them make a jump in this final band ranking definitely so I gotta ask since you you went to Notre Dame and there's a new head coach around I heard how you feel about your new head coach and Marcus Freeman I am excited. I think that was the best choice Notre Dame has made in a very long time. And they just hired Neil Ivy probably a year ago. So it's great to see Marcus Freeman get that opportunity. It's continuity. Brian Kelly left. We're still in the hunt for the playoffs. So I'm happy to see that they just promote it within. The guys really pulled for him. And this says a lot about him and his character for a defensive coordinator to be a part of your program for one year and has the entire team rally around him on social media. That says a lot about him. And I think we're in the prime and perfect position for a first time head coach to take over. Our program isn't in ruins. We're in the playoff hunt. He's been the master recruiter for us. Uh, He's our our linebackers coach. We have five and four star linebacker recruits coming in. So for them to still say, hey, we want Marcus Freeman and for the university to take that into account, I'm like, beautiful. And also it doesn't hurt that whether or not they name Marcus Freeman head coach in Notre Dame, I knew he was going to lead this football season as a head coach. 
whether it be at Notre Dame or whether he fill in a position at Oklahoma or went back to Cincinnati, you can see the promise in him. And I'm excited. I'm very excited, actually. I can't wait to see it. And it also feels good to see a little melanin on that sidelines. Definitely, definitely. So you you went to Notre Dame, but you're writing about HBCUs. So, like, what made you get into writing about HBCUs coming from a PWI? One thing I've always wanted, I always wanted to attend an HBCU. So going into college, actually, I kind of had it narrowed down. It was U of M, Notre Dame, and Spelman. So those were my top three. Spelman was very high on my list. And at that point in time, just with scholarships, financial aid, it kind of just, and accessibility. I live in Detroit, Spelman's all the way down south. It kind of just swung in the way of Notre Dame, but it still ignited that fire and that fuel that to really appreciate the essence of HBCUs. So going to Notre Dame, I can recount stories about being at a PWI. Or even sometimes I joke about it. Like I got received an email from a professor saying, Hey Mia, I noticed you missed the I, I noticed you didn't come to class today. Everything okay? And I'm like, man, the girl that sits next to me, I haven't seen her in three weeks. I should ask her if she got an email. But going back to HBCUs, something I've always wanted to attend. And it's kind of like, you know how people say, if you tell God your plans, he's gonna laugh. It's kind of like that workaround. It's coming full circle for me for me to actually still experience HBCU culture, even though I did go to Notre Dame. So it's been a blessing. I've had the opportunity to go to Howard Homecoming, had the opportunity to sit down with protesters, actually see Howard from their point of view, got to talk to them, got to see some of their conditions, see what they were fighting for, seeing how they were able to mobilize and how they were able to structure Blackburn. That was wonderful. On the flip side, I did get to go over to the stadium and see the Mecca, see the pageantry of homecoming. I got to see it also at Norfolk. I saw it at Jackson State. So it's being involved and being around so many different HBCU cultures. And I love that I can do it in pretty much with no affiliation. Like I don't have a favorite. I love all of you equally, but it's a greater appreciation because I'm like, man, this is different. Oh, this is pretty seeing their campuses, seeing the culture, and just having cousins kind of help me out along the way, fill me in. I have cousins that went to Howard, cousins that went to Xavier, Dillard. So HBCU has been prevalent in my life, and I'm happy to actually have the opportunity to cover it. And now one of the things I find interesting, um, I guess, with your story is that, like, you were pre-med before you even decided to go more towards the media side. Um, And I feel like, People that listen to this podcast, I think that's a life theme one, really just changing direction. So what was that journey like of you just saying, you know, forget pre-med, I'm going to really dive into this media perspective thing and just, hey, do what I can. (laughs) It's pretty much do the best with what you can. So that's actually one of the reasons I chose Notre Dame. I was pre-med. I love the science facilities, like best research. The labs were amazing. But one thing I've always loved, basketball. Ball was, all, ball was always life growing up. Played ball in high school, AAU, won a state championship. Unfortunately, I didn't grow past 5'1", so 
ball is the hoop dreams kind of ended after high school, but I've always kind of really wanted to stay in touch with the sport. So naturally Notre Dame, great basketball program under Muffet McGraw at the time, they were always that team that went to multiple final fours in a row. So I just kind of signed on to our student paper and turns out I enjoyed writing more than anything else. They're like, oh yeah, you're studying for your chemistry exam. Oh no, I'm about to go cover this basketball game. That is not the way to do it at all. I, that, that test score did not look very well. But after some reflection, you kind of sit down and you have to be honest with yourself. What could you see yourself doing this? Do you really like what you're doing? And ultimately, I kind of switched. And the funny part about that, Notre Dame does not have a journalism program. <laughs> so it's like, okay cool. You want to do journalism. We don't have a major for that. And I'm like, okay, let me see. I'm going to make it do what it do. So just still getting that experience from the paper. I worked for the athletic department just to get that writing experience, writing for the website, helping in any way I can did a lot of video. One thing about Notre Dame and one of the main reasons we'll probably never join a conference. We have a wonderful contract with NBC. So just getting the opportunity to film, do stuff like that, I kind of created my own makeshift major. So film, television, theater was my way of diving into digital media for journalism. And the older I got and some of the internships I got and some of the people I worked with, I found out not too many journalists major in journalism, actually. I met someone that was a biology major that interned with me at the LA Times. I'm like, okay, that's dope. What's your major? History. And it's so exciting to see people with so many different perspectives. Someone was Africana studies. You see all these different humanities degrees come together and you can write as long as you know how to write the art of storytelling, the art of talking to people, communication. You can pretty much find your way. And that's pretty much my journey going off of my love of sports and just saying, okay, where do, what, what do I like? Okay. I need more writing experience. Let me do this. Oh, I need some video. Let me do this. And it's kind of like my hodgepodge collection of experience. So Mia, it is the month of December and, you know, do you have a little extra time to talk about the holiday season? Absolutely. The most wonderful time of the year. Of course I have time. Yes. So the year is coming to an end and it's getting colder outside, which does mean it's holiday season and Christmas is coming up. With holiday season here, what is like your favorite holiday song and favorite holiday movie that you'd like to watch and listen? Okay. Holiday movie. I'm going to go this Christmas. Star studded cast. You have London London. You have Chris Brown. You got Medea. You have, I really just enjoy that movie. Very heartfelt. Idris Elba is, it's one of those movies where you can get your laugh, but it's also that semblance of a Black family. Good, the bad, the issues, Laz Alonzo with the baby oil. Like, it's wonderful. And that's one thing with Christmas movies growing up. I didn't really see too many, at least none of the ones I remember watching at school. You didn't really see too many Black families just 
being normal black families, telling jokes, having their issues, but still coming together and being family at the end of the day. So this Christmas is always on my holiday to do. I do best man holiday. I only do that once a year because I don't like crying that much, especially when Mia dies. Like Mia and me, it's just, it, hit, it hits a little too close for me. So I can't believe you're actually forgetting the classic though. Like what about Santa Claus? You know, what are like, you're, you're forgetting the classics. Man, both of y'all forgetting the classics. It's Polar Express, what y'all talking about, man? You gonna watch that every time in school with some hot chocolate and a cookie. Nah, nah. Alexis, what you got to say? Uh, I don't know. Actually, I agree with me with this Christmas. I feel like for me, there with each of those family members, you can identify, you know, your your uncle, you know, somebody on that screen, your grandma, somebody on that screen. And I really like how even though it displays the different issues that we might have within our family dynamics, it's still the positivity and also the non-judgment that I think I can really appreciate with that movie. It's like despite, you know, me being transparent and clear about my issues, I know my family still loves me. I can still talk to them about whatever. So also, you know, being able to see my family members within these characters and you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a film for all ages. Um, but once you hit the teenage <laughs> point, you can kind of sit around and watch it with everyone kind of played in the background. Or if, you know, you want to tune in like it's your first time, either one. Or if you want to, you know, play in the background while you cook, either way, you know, it's, you know, dual purpose. Mm. So I, I guess seeing that we all like this Christmas, would it be safe to say that's going to be like on like those, the, the Mount Rushmore's of Black films that when we get older, we'll always look at? If we do a holiday edition, yes. Okay. I don't know if I can watch this Christmas during Easter. I don't know. But when it's Christmas, it just hits perfectly. I would say, too, like a lot of the movies now, they always have to have some type of social media aspect or some type of app aspect i really like with this christmas it was kind of like one of those last films that didn't really deal with the digital realm or didn't have that element of social media in the app so i really do you know of course you know social media has been great it's been fantastic it keeps people connected but there's a lot of downsides as far as authentic communications etc so i think those are one of the last few films that we got to see before this whole digital age was always portrayed in different films so i think that's another reason why i like it too because it kind of reminds me you know life pre-Instagram, pre-Twitter. Of course, they were still around, but people hadn't really dove into them yet. Yeah, I remember watching Chris Brown sing Donny Hathaway's This Christmas on YouTube. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, that's where you went to see the video. So I agree with Alexis, the pre-social age. So, yes, add that to the favorite Christmas song list. Mm. So, so that, yeah. that, that's it? Not, nothing else? Like, you're forgetting about um, the classic, what do the lonely do for Christmas? You know, now I'm, now I'm a- Who's watching that? I'm, I'm saying that the song, you know, what do the lonely do for Christmas? You never heard that? No. No. Calvin, you, you, hey, Calvin, where are you from again? I'm from Miami, <laughs> but you know, I have an old school heart. So that's, you know, that, that's something that the old school that my dad would play. You know, uh, I can't relate. Really, can't uh, relate. Okay. I'm going to add it to my playlist this Christmas, man. Make sure to add it on. What is it called again? What do the lonely do for Christmas? See, see Keon don't even remember. That's yeah, C. So. don't even remember what the song was. I'm the, I'm the music guy, but never heard that one, man. I'm going to add something to my playlist this year. But I got to ask y'all another question. Like, what is y'all favorite Christmas tradition with, to, do, uh, to do with your family? That's a good one. 
I do a couple different things. I avoid cooking. <laughs> you know that holiday saying, don't try nothing new on the holidays? Yeah. I'm yeah. the don't try nothing new. I'm the I'm not cooking. I'm like, y'all know I don't cook all year. And y'all going to ask me to cook today? Y'all, y'all don't want that. But on a serious note, I would say making stockings. It's messy. It never turns out right. Thank God I only have three letters in my name. <laughs> and I think at the end of the stocking, you can see half the M. It's really like an N. But I know it's mine because it got the little, little sprinkle on the other side to let you know it's the M and it's my stocking. Uh, I would say for me, I really enjoy because my mom taught me how to wrap gifts. Um, so I really like coordinating the wrapping paper with the ribbons. Um, I really enjoy uh, the presentation of everything, even though, you know, it all gets ripped apart in the end. Um, but it kind of sets the tone in a sense for the gift, even if it's something small, you know, small, thoughtful, whatever. Um, I really enjoy wrapping gifts, especially that's something that my mom has taught me how to do. Um, and then also, you know, I enjoy stationery and little things like that. So um, just, you know, wrapping, wrapping it perfectly for the perfect gift for the perfect person um, that I really get a lot of joy out of that. Well, for me, I think mine is really involved around family. So what we do as a family is um, all of us always tend to get up at five o'clock in the morning just because of excitement of Santa Claus growing up. That was like this big tradition that my mom put in us. So we get up at five, we would open gifts, we would have hot chocolate, and we would all open up our gifts with excitement. And then afterwards, our mom would like, you know, make us just reflect on the year as a family on things that, you know, we did well, we did right, and like what we hope for next year. And, you know, just all hug, hug each other and just give love. Like, that's my favorite tradition. It's, it's all about family with me. I think mine too, one that I forgot. Um, my dad always lets me open one gift um, on Christmas Eve and it just, it would drive my mom crazy. Um, and sometimes like my dad, sorry, mom, if you're listening, <laughs> my dad would actually let me open up a gift on Christmas Eve. He would rewrap it. And then I would open up that same gift on Christmas just so that my mom never knew that That's I what? on Christmas oh, 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 Eve. Oh, oh, then there's no surprise. How do you? Oh. Wait, Alexis, do you get the good gifts? Because my parents did that too. Okay, you guys can open one gift and it's all the matching pajamas they wanted us to wear that night. Well, we never <laughs> did matching pajamas. It would just be like, so my, so basically, so for me, well, Luckily, I know I'm getting something every year because I'm the only child in my family. So everyone else like above me is like, I'm like 20, 30 years removed. So I know I'm walking in the house and there's gifts waiting for me. Some other people is like, eh, I don't know if I'm getting something, but we know I'm getting something. So basically it would always be like the bigger gifts, like the ones that were bigger. Like I remember one year I got a bike and they managed to wrap it somehow. So like the ones that are bigger, I can't open. But like the smaller ones, you know, you kind of just tell in size. Um, yeah, the smaller ones I was allowed to open. Um, and yeah, so my dad would let me open it on, would let me open one on Christmas Eve. My mom hated that. Um, so then he would rewrap it, um, which is actually how he learned how to wrap gifts, trying to copy her wrapping so that, you know, it would go undisguised. I mean, un, um, unnoticed. Um, and then the next day, yeah, he would rewrap it and I would reopen it as if, you know, everything was, you know, a surprise. That is interesting. Never heard that one before. I might take note of that uh, for the future. But, you know, since we're talking about the holiday season and, you know, the 2021 year is coming to an end. So what has been like your favorite moment of the year? Simply getting the opportunity to work at the Undefeated. I was part of that Corona class of 2020. Shamelessly. I still have not 
I still haven't graduated yet, technically. I what? haven't crossed the stage. <laughs> I got my cap and gown. I don't know where it's at at this point because I've had it for two years. So having the opportunity, going through everything with the pandemic and finally securing that out-of-college job, it's like, and not even just the out-of-college job, working for your dream company, covering HBCUs, covering culture, it's been a blessing through and through. So that's that's the highlight of my 2021. I think we can all kind of relate to that because even, you know, with this being your first year with the Undefeated, this is our, you know, first exposure to the Undefeated as well with being Rodent Fellows. We were just um, brought on on June 7th, I believe. Um, so we all are kind of getting to know the Undefeated um, and, you know, all the great things it has for us. You know, this is all our first year. So that's definitely, you know, a place where we can connect. I think favorite moment for me um, as I think about this year it's really just, I guess, the opportunities that have presented itself to me, um, just with also the undefeated and just things within my college that like people now look for me for more advice. Um, so I'm just thankful for those opportunities and then to give a helping hand to my fellow colleagues and family and be an inspiration to them, too, um, from everything that I'm doing. Yeah, I would say for me, I would say it's two things. One, um, me and Sarah actually got to go to um, ESPN College Game Day, and we were actually on TV. Um, and just, you know, just all my family members, especially my dad calling me because we used to, you know, watch College Game Day. So having, you know, your face on ESPN on TV is definitely like a surreal moment. And I would also say, um, you know, just really discovering that drive of like, okay, I've done so well, I've come so far, but there's also still so much to learn. Um, and, you know, just really doing, you know, all the things that I set out to do once I got to a and I feel it, you know, all coming full circle this year. Um, so definitely thankful for both of those realizations. Yes, I'm definitely thankful for the uh, experiences with ESPN. Uh, I've been trying to get this internship since I was a freshman and to finally get in my uh, senior year has really been a blessing opportunity and yeah i'm just very thankful man for this uh for this year man but just like everything everything comes to an end and that is it for today's episode to our audience thank you for tuning in once again i want to give a special special thanks to mia barry for taking uh taking this time with us to be on our show and we hope to see y'all for the next episode so make sure you tune into our next episode as we wrap up the 2021 year.